we only have so much gas in the tank. So we don't want to be going super, super hard just for the sake of it. We have to be very, very intelligent and very, very calculated about the specific intentional nature of the workout that we're doing if we're going to choose to do a, a very intense anaerobic bur uh, bursted workout because they're very, very taxing on your nervous system and they're very, very taxing on some of the, uh, the, the physiological systems. It's hard to recover from a really hard anaerobic workout. Sometimes you get a little sore. Sometimes you get really, really tired and you might drain their energy too much earlier in the week and then not have enough routine for you. So being mindful of that is really, really important. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Shift Show, where my number one goal is to bring you tools, ideas, and the latest science to help you change athletes' lives. My name is Dave Tilly. We are going to keep rolling this week. I uh, had a couple really popular uh, pieces of feedback from the last few episodes that the foundational lecture of the competitive year and then also the preseason was super, super successful. But obviously, we're moving into in-season for a lot of people this time of the year. And also, many times throughout the year, they want to be thinking about how do we optimize the actual meat season. So we're going to take all those foundational concepts we talked about. We're going to build them into off of the preseason, all those things we talked about last week in the last episode. And then we're going to kind of go now into the in-season and talk about, okay, how do we hit meets? How do we get really good routines? How do we get athletes mentally, physically, and emotionally ready to handle quite a demanding long season? and make sure they're having nice progress towards their goals. So we're going to go in the same kind of four quadrant structure. We're going to talk about, okay, we have our structured routines. How do we make sure we approach the NC as in with an A part and a B part so that we can really get the most out of our meets? What do we have to do with our schedule, with our planning? What kind of workouts can we do on the events during our competitive season to make sure we're getting ready for the, the mock meet situation or a meet situation? We'll really dive into a lot of uh, events and side stations and stuff like that. Then we'll talk about strength and conditioning and also the uh, cardio system stuff, which is now maybe tinkering more into a maintenance care mode where we're not trying to go crazy and build strength or build an engine that we're trying to work with. We're trying to maintain those power outputs. We're trying to maintain those cardio systems that we got so we can really, really compete well and have a nice, awesome meet that we're training for. So we'll go through all the nitty gritty of the workouts that I like to use and things I've found from other coaches that are super duper successful. And then lastly, we'll talk about a, a super, super important part of this, which is athlete wellness. So trying to make sure that athletes are mentally and emotionally well throughout the season. And what can we do to push off some of the uh, overuse injuries? You know, the things that always unfortunately come up and kind of bite us in the butt towards the end of the year when we have nagging injuries. So what can we be doing in the beginning, in the middle of the in season to try to get on top of those things and stay ahead of it? So if you guys enjoyed this episode, you enjoying the last episodes, please do me a massive favor. Just screenshot it, toss it up on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, wherever you like to share things, uh, because a lot more people could kind of come and hear this information and really help the athletes they're working with this year. But also just go ahead and rate and review us on iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher, because it really helps us get more public awareness to the podcast. I think we're creeping up on about 150 episodes now, which is crazy, about three years in the podcast. So thank you to everyone who's listened. But um, if you also want to see these lectures, instead of just, you know, hearing them out loud, you can go over to the Hero Lab. You guys can sign up and you guys can check it out. We have all the resources, all of the, uh, you know, the handouts, stuff like that. We have like 40 or 50 lectures by now, uh, a private discussion group as well, where all of us kind of talk and help each other out with questions. It's like 500 plus people around the world joining the group. So uh, go over to shiftmovementscience.com backslash the Hero Lab, and uh, you can get pretty much everything I've ever talked about in all these lectures, all, all those are in the back end there for a very, very uh, a reasonable amount of money per month. It's just like nine bucks. So if you guys want to jump in there and check it out, that's all yours. If not, enjoy the podcast and we'll see you in the last one next week.
Alrighty, welcome back everyone to part three of our kind of competitive year, optimizing the competitive year lecture series that we've been going through. Um, if you're just joining us and you're kind of digging into the in-season part, um, I would definitely encourage you to go back and listen to the other two lectures first because there's a lot of information inside of those lectures that's going to be super important for, you know, the framework and the structure of how we're making all of this come together um, to compete for meets or to get ready for a big performance or to kind of peak for one part of the year. So um, kind of as we talked about in the last few lectures is we've, we've built the upon the, the general principles, and then we moved on to talking about how we get ready in the preseason, and then now we're going to transition into the in-season and go to the off-season. Remember that if I was typically building this from scratch, if I was consulting with a program, or if I was building a program for athletes that I work with, I'd actually start with the end of the year, work all the way backwards, and start with the off-season, and do the off-season programming first, then the preseason, then the in-season, but in the essence of trying to make sure people learn this and kind of uh, understand this to the best of their ability, we're going to actually start with the uh, middle part here, which is going to be the preseason then the in-season, then we'll talk about off-season last in the next lecture. So with that in mind, let's kind of go back to our analogy we used in the last few lectures about the hourglass, right? So we talked about how the hourglass really represents the capacity of the athlete and how inevitably as you go through a competitive year, um, there is sand in the top of the hourglass that represents the athlete's ability to do skills and compete well and their kind of overall bandwidth. Um, that inevitably is going to slide through the hourglass into the bottom. Uh, you're going to kind of run out of that energy or run out of that steam as the year goes on because, you know, doing high-level sports, competing and training is, is challenging. Whether you're, you know, just doing this for fun and you're just doing this on your own, you're not ever getting a score, you're never going in front of a judge, or if you're someone who's literally trying to make a world or Olympic team, it, it kind of all matters the same. Our, our human stress response system and the way we tolerate training load is, is really universal between a lot of people. And so that's kind of what we talked about in the first lecture. But we talked a lot in the preseason about how we really wanted to put more sand in the top of the hourglass by doing preseason really, really well. So the off-season training, the preseason training, we talked about, you know, developing skills and putting those into skill combinations, the workouts that we would use to kind of get ready for the competitive season, how do we get ready for meets, that would be putting the, the actual sand into the hourglass, right? Or doing really good strength and conditioning, really good power development stuff, the progression from strength to power development from the general aerobic base of cardio to that really aggressive bursted 60 to 90 second cardio that's really putting more sand in the hourglass getting someone ready to prepare themselves for the competitive season or get ready to go through a bunch of meets in a row so what we're talking about now is we're talking about it's inevitable that that sand is going to go through the glass right you're probably not going to get really, really strong during season. You're probably not going to get much, much faster and fitter during season. You're going to definitely optimize your technique. You're going to get better at hitting your routines. You're going to definitely maintain some of those qualities. But essentially, we're, we're kind of using everything we have to compete well throughout the year. So what we're trying to talk about in this lecture is some strategies or some different workouts or some things we're going to do to try to really control the amount of sand that slides through that hourglass bottleneck and the rate at which that sand happens, right? And we talked about earlier in the athlete wellness section how getting proper sleep and getting proper uh, time and stress management, having really good plans and periodization programs for times between really hard training sessions, also feeling yourself for performance, getting more hydration in your daily day. Um, that is going to help kind of keep your sand from pouring through the hourglass, right? If you don't sleep a lot, you don't take care of yourself, you don't have time off, the workouts are too close together or too hard close back to back, you might really pour a lot of that sand through the hourglass versus as we talked about in the first lecture is going those cycles of stressing the athlete, then letting them recover, then stressing the athlete, letting them recover, we're going to build up the capacity so that we're going to actually control the sand to go a little bit slower during in-season by having proper periodization workloads, by having proper scientific thought behind what we're doing, by communicating with the athletes about how they're feeling. All of those things are going to help us a little bit more during this competitive year. 
But what we're going to try to talk about is those same four categories, right? And we're going to break those down and talk about what we're doing in each of those categories to get ready for meets, to get ready for the biggest performances, to the actual, you know, routines on a, on a show that you have to do or when you're facing a team or when you're going to an invitational or trying to make a competition team. What are you doing for workouts? What are you doing for the strength and conditioning? What are you doing for the cardio? And what are you doing for the athlete wellness? Okay, so big picture, let's go back to this as we did in the first one. Right? What, are we, what are the main goals of in-season, right? Number one, most people at the competitive level are trying to hit their routines and they're trying to have a really, really high potential meet. They're trying to do the best possible job they can do to hit their four or their six routines based on artistic or hit their trampoline, their tumbling routines, whatever it should be, rhythmic. They're trying to really have great meets. They're trying to reach their highest potential and do all of the hard work that they've been having over the summer or the preseason, have that show off. For some people, they want you know to get a good score to get an all-around score, to make a team, to make it to states, regionals, nationals, get a college scholarship, make a national team. Other people just want to perform. They just want to show off. They just want to have fun. They just want to show the things they've been working on. So regardless of whether it's like you're really hardcore in the competitive side, or you're just more recreational and doing this for fun, both of these things kind of come together here. Okay. So number two, absolutely important. We must maximize as much as we possibly can athlete health and wellness throughout this competitive year, right? Anyone who is involved in gymnastics knows that the competitive season can be very, very brutal on athletes, right? About five to six months. That's really, really challenging. You have school, you have family life, you're trying to juggle your other commitments. Like it is very, very taxing physically, mentally, and emotionally on the athletes. So as we are trying to compete at our best, Another way to make sure we maintain that high level of competitive edge and that high level of competitive potential is by making sure athletes are well, right? Making sure they're physically and mentally and emotionally taken care of. And that is what we're going to think about with terms of how we make our workouts, how we program, why we're doing certain exercises, but also some of the other things we're working on around just the training environment to really make sure that someone's mentally and emotionally ready to compete. They can handle the pressure of those meet situations. They feel comfortable. They feel like they're recovering well from those meets because they're very, very challenging on their body. Okay, number three, I think the, the main reason a lot of us kind of want to get in here, right, is to have a good time and reach their goals. So maybe they have some goals they've set, and we'll talk about those. Maybe they have some goals that they're reaching for. We want to make sure we have a specific plan that's broken down into smaller segments to help them reach those goals. If we never plan for those goals, we never talk about those goals, we never talk about have those goals changed, um, it can go off the rails pretty quick. So these big three things are kind of our buckets we're looking at. When we look at these goals, okay, we're going to go based on a couple things here, right? So I typically like to look at the season into two sections in the same way we looked at the uh, preseason in two sections as well. So our big goal, if say we have it towards the end of the year, it's a, it's a show, it's a state, it's a regional, it's a national championship, it's an international championship, whatever else it should be, the Olympics. Um, we're pretty much going to always break these down into yearly cycles. Within the in-season of that yearly cycle, the first three months are probably going to be not your biggest, you know, most perfect sets ever. Really, the goal of the first three months of the competitive season is to trying to just get in your rhythm, right? Trying to hit clean, confident sets. We don't need to be hitting our craziest difficulty, our craziest upgrades. We don't want to be going perfect every single time because if we if we enter the first meet and hit absolutely perfect, no matter what, all the time, I don't know if we've been pushing our goals hard enough, right? We actually want to have some trial and error, and it's going to take some time to kind of find our rhythm and make sure we're getting in the right, you know, sequence of events or the sequence of uh, skills and routine that we're getting into the competitive mindset. And I think that's going to take time. I don't think that's going to be like, okay, we're doing routines. And as soon as we turn on that meet light switch, everything goes perfect. Everything goes well. That's almost impossible to ever happen because gymnastics is so challenging. All disciplines in gymnastics have so much challenge them, so much error. So I kind of build in a little bit of a buffer. I obviously want people to compete well. I want them to do the best they possibly can. But if someone doesn't hit perfect sets every single time in the first couple of meets of the year, 
I'm not overly worried about it, right? Because we're going to have things to work on. There's always going to be ways to change things. There's going to be ways to clean up some sets, to do some skills that are different, try to think about order changes, try to think about what meets we're competing at. It's a lot of things that are going to kind of have to be worked out in order for athletes to feel like they're really in a good kind of flow state or rhythm when they're doing their routines. The ability to you know, step up and confidently raise your hand and say, I'm ready to go. Let's get this done. Takes some time. And so I'm okay with that in the first couple months of the season. Okay. Versus um, trying to do the second part of the season, which is usually the last two months. That's typically what people would call like championship season, right? That's peaking, right? That's trying to make sure that your biggest meets, the ones that you care the most about are, you're really, really ready to go. You're running on all cylinders. You feel like your routines are solid. You've had a lot of reps. You feel really, really good in the competitive environment and you feel as though you are ready to do your best, right? That is typically what people are looking for is trying to peak for those last two months. So obviously uh, artistic gymnastics might have these four to five months where it's a little bit different. Elite gymnastics has a little bit more of a two-peaked season where sometimes there's some events like in the middle of the, the season, there's some things in the later for championships. Um, a lot of different variability around the world based on kind of the setting you work in. College gymnastics is a shorter season that's very, very dense here in the U.S. So it's going to be different for everybody, right? But again, the key here is to understand that it can probably be broken up into two sections and you want to plan intentionally for how you're approaching the first part of the uh, season versus how you're approaching the second part of the season. Very, very different mentalities you have here. Okay. The second part of the season might be where you put those upgrades. If you want, you put up the for optional levels, obviously um, you put in some, some bigger skills you've been working. You try to get some more difficulty bonus. You try to get some more connections because it's going to separate you a little bit from people, um, some unique skill combinations, but really more importantly is you're trying to just hit under pressure. You're trying to hit really, really big routines when it counts the most uh, on the meets that is, or, the, or when the situation arises. Okay. We try to make sure we're peaking for probably two meets of the season. Um, those two meets are probably going to be either the back-to-back weekends or about two or three weekends apart. So it's if you look at the literature on you know tapering and peaking and, and uh, human performance, it's really hard to maintain someone's top, top gear of performance for more than those like two to three weeks, right? It's really challenging sometimes to go through like six weeks or seven weeks and expect people to be firing on all cylinders all the time. So with that in mind, we can plan for that. We can train for that. But also we want to be really realistic in the fact that we don't expect someone to have three or four or five meets in a row where it goes absolutely flawless and they have unlimited energy. They're never tired, nothing sore. They feel great. It's probably not going to happen that way. So you have to realize, okay, as a coach, as a medical provider, as a strength coach, as a parent working with gymnasts or as a gymnast themselves listening to this, you're going to have probably two big meets that are really, really important to you, whether those are put together or whether those are maybe separate throughout the year. You want to kind of put your eggs in those two baskets and plan the the year around that because that's probably when things are going to matter the most. Again, for some people, that's never getting a score and just they want to have a great performance. They want to show off all their hard work in front of people or on their own. That's totally cool. It might be a show. Um, for other people, that might be uh, the colleges are looking at them uh, at a national championship and uh, the national JO championship. And that's at the club level where they're going to get looked at for scholarships. Or maybe it's the national championship for college, or maybe it's an elite qualifier, or maybe it's, um, you know, a world championships, right? Or an Olympic championship or, or an Olympic team, whatever else it should be. So you have to realize what's your individual goal and you have to kind of build your calendar years around that. Okay. I think it's really important to know here, one of the most important pieces as we first look at this section of gymnastics specific training, we talked about skills to routines to meet combinations. One of the most important things that I think athletes need is they have to have communication about what the schedule is, 
when it is happening, when the meets are, and they have to be able to plan well ahead of time around these things, right? I think some of the the gyms that I've worked with on the club level, unfortunately, sometimes don't have this worked out well in advance, and they kind of add meets last minute, or they kind of add things last second, and that's obviously different if someone's trying to qualify or move level, but they don't really solidify their schedule well in advance. Um, Sometimes it's no fault of their own. It's just the meets don't come together well, but you really want to have your calendar year planned out pretty much set before you start the in-season. You really want to know what's going on. And this quote from Tim is really important here. It says, it's not the workload that's the problem. It's the workload you're not prepared for. And that's why you need to know the meets. Because if you know the meets, you can plan your on weeks and your off weeks throughout the season. And you can tell athletes ahead of time, hey, this week we don't have a meet. We're going to go a little bit harder. So let's try to prepare appropriately. Let's get the the mental headspace ready. Let's make sure we're taking care of ourselves. We're sleeping. We're bringing snacks. We're taking care of ourselves with our school and our time management versus another week when they are traveling for a weekend, they have to know in advance to get their schoolwork done or try to get themselves oriented of their sleep schedules or what they're doing for stress management techniques. You can't just throw random meets or just say like, hey, we're going to try this and then try that. You have to really be deliberate. The more you communicate with the athletes about what's going on, the better. I promise you that. So try to get these things done well, well in advance. Okay. One of the best things you can do is communicate about the meet schedule, those hard weeks, the taper weeks, the biggest competition, and the rationale for why you're making training decisions. I think the more times you can involve athletes in the educational process and say, this is why we're going so hard today. I know you're tired. I know you feel gassed, but this is why we have to do this because... Someday down the road, you might have back-to-back training days. You might make you know, a really, really uh, great meet performance and have to do a day two if that's your goal. In, in college, you might have a, a back-to-back regional day. You might have an event finalist day, right? For somebody else, it might be two weekends back-to-back their training. It's going to be like, listen, we're going to have this meet, and it's going to be right next to this week, and this second meet is one of the more important meets of the year. So we're going to simulate this a couple weeks leading up to it, maybe a month before, and I need you to be ready for that. But there's a reason for it. There's a rationale for it. There's a communication line between that. So giving those things in advance really, really does help uh, athletes, but not only parents and coaches, medical providers, everybody in the same page, trying to see what's the best thing for the athlete with an athlete centered model, the more communication, the better. Okay. When you look at maybe a, you know, mock schedule of what you would put up on a calendar. So maybe you have a a giant calendar in your gym for the month to month. I think it's really good to have one of these to write it up with like a dry erase board or write it up in a binder. And you could just outline the goal, you know, baseline of what we think we're going to do here, right? So maybe this is a situation of the in-season, maybe in the in-season A. So maybe you know you have these two meets back-to-back. Well, you're going to plan this month in advance and try to share this calendar with the athletes, right? So say they have Monday, they would do their half sets. Tuesdays are a routine day. Wednesdays are routine. We'll take a light day for skills and prehab on Thursday. We'll do a mock meet on Friday, right? We talked about in the last lecture how there's many different types of approaches you would do to these workouts. This on Tuesday might be a warm up with basics, two routines on bars, and then week half like we talked about versus this day on Wednesday might just be a warm up, one pressure set, and then corrections, right? Versus this mock meet might be literally exactly what you're doing rotation order for Friday, right? So you know you're starting on bars. You know you're going to do X many people in a group. You're going to simulate that. You're going to simulate... Uh, saluting a judge and sitting down for four people between touches. Um, you know, for trampoline, you might be taking different intervals of when you're allowed to take your touches, take your warm ups, and then you want to get there and try to simulate as much as possible of the meet setting, right? With distractions, with rushing, with bumps, with all that kind of stuff, right? Within this week, that routine day of Tuesday with those two routines of corrections is very different than the warm up pressure set here, which is very different than the mock meet, right? So if athletes know, 
in advance what's coming, they can prepare themselves mentally and physically for these kind of things. And so if you have this in mind, then you go through the entire week, right, leading up to the meet. We're going to do skills on Monday. It's a nice, easy ramping day. Routines, routines, mock meet. We're going three days kind of hard right in a row. we got to be ready for that. Some people like to do this. Some people like to do the mock meet on Wednesday, take a light day Thursday. Everybody is different, right? But the point I'm trying to make here is that you need to have this well in advance. If you know when the meets are, you can break down when you're going to be doing month to month. You can break down when the routines are, when the light days are. You can really communicate with athletes about how to do this. And for me personally and many of the other programs that I've consulted with, this seems to be one of the most effective ways to get the best out of the workouts. If they know what's coming and they know what to plan for instead of just showing up and like, hmm, I think we're doing routines today. Or like, oh God, I didn't know I had to do routines today, right? And they freak out a little bit. So we're trying to make sure we educate the athletes and get them involved in the planning process. Two other random things that I think are really important to, to have on the, the, the schedule here and try to make sure you're thinking about. These are things that we created at our gym in response to having a lot of frustrations in season with um, some different things. And we have found that these two things are extremely helpful. Okay, so the first is going to be what we call our stoplight system for move ups, right? So this is something that would be done well in advance of season, but it always comes back into play with season, right? Because you need to have really, really clear lines in the sand about level requirements and what it takes to move up and what it takes to compete a level safely with parents, with gymnasts. And you have to be regularly uh, checking back in about why somebody is or is not doing a certain level or is or is not doing a certain skill because it's for a safety thing or why, for example, they're not really doing the best job that they think they can at a meet. So we clearly line out for our all the way through, I mean, compulsories is pretty much uh, easy to go because of the, the actual routines are the same, but more so with optionals and up. Like, okay, this is what you need for level seven, level eight, level nine, level 10 to try to go to college. All of those things we have written out and we're very, very clear about it on a sheet with binders as they change as the code changes. So it can be related to the requirements that they have to fulfill on each event. It can be the skills that are expected of them when they're working like level six, working up to level seven of having your giants before you go to level seven, not like trying to learn your giants at level seven, for an example, right? Attendance is also a huge thing we talk about that you have to be here for a certain percentage of time and do the strength and conditioning and do all the drills and be here for safety reasons of doing hard gymnastics, but also mental skills and, and, and time management skills and just, you know, characteristics of what we believe in, like our community guidelines of how we treat people and how we respect people and how we work together. Those things are clearly lined out in, in binders and stuff that we would use. And that would be very, very helpful for us to lean on when maybe something came up in season about why someone didn't do this skill or didn't compete well or something happened or where they're not maybe moving up the season before. Um, but we use them in the off season when we do our move ups. We then revisit them again very clearly with a preseason parent meeting. And then we again regularly check in with our gymnast halfway through the year to say like, hey, how are your goals going? Uh, we talked about these kind of things you want to do. Is that still in line? Here's where you're at with vault bars, beam floor. Here's where you're at with your pommel horse routine or your ring routine. This is what you need to get for requirements. Look at our attendance is a little funky here. Is everything okay? Let's look at your strength and conditioning binder, right? We have these small little 50 to 20 minute meetings with every single athlete individually to kind of go over these things and make sure we're over communicating because nobody likes to be blindsided, right? With bombing a meet and getting a six, right? If they wanted to hopefully get a really good score or not moving up in level or not having the season that they really wanted for. So you can use these things to kind of be checking back in and to see like what's going on why are we making progress or why are we not making progress? And if someone's doing really, really well and they're crushing it and they really want to maintain that, these are also really, really helpful to be like, well, look at it. You're doing these skills. You're doing your assignments. You've been here a lot. You're doing a really great job with time management. You've been killing it with your sleep. Like, oh, that looks really good. 
all those things can be really, really helpful to move up. So I highly encourage people to, you know, I, I know people would be like, oh, can you send me your template, what you use? But um, I really encourage you to make your own because things change. Things change based on levels and age and goals. So the things that we expect or we try to have for the athletes might not be the same thing for you. So hopefully you guys can sit down and make one of these, whether you already have or whether you have one that's kind of in the process and just refine those because these are extremely helpful. The other thing that we use um, is, is our rule of seven, we call it. So essentially what the rule of seven is, is that each athlete, each gymnast must show seven of the skills or routines in mock competitions setting uh, the week leading up to a meet to be eligible to compete that event. So what I mean by that is in the two weeks or the week or two leading up to the meet, they have to flip seven of their vaults or they have to do seven of their full bar routines with, with their hardest skills. Um, or show seven of their roundup back handsprings on the floor if they're a younger athlete who's nervous about that. They must show those successfully seven times safely, okay, not just like winging it, but safely show us that uh, as a coaching staff and show themselves honestly that they're confident of that because we believe that uh, that number helps us to get more of a solidified uh, base for confidence, but also too, it typically happens over the course of multiple days, right? They can't just come and do seven vaults and call it a day. They have to do that multiple days in a row, and I think that that really helps to keep them as safe as possible. Um, we never want someone to be trying a skill or doing a beam series or trying to do some huge vault or some new parallel bar skill or a big trampoline skill when maybe they haven't gotten fully over a mental block or they haven't mastered the technique for how to do it safely or they don't really uh, thrive well under the pressure setting just yet in competition and maybe that's a risk of safety. So we use this for every single meet. So every time a new meet comes up, they have to show seven of those things are going to compete not without like no spotting, no mats, no stacks, like just warm up compete like it normally would be. And I think that we have a pretty hard rule that says like, you know, there's, there's not even really a conversation about, can I just chuck it or can I throw it unless we have these seven things. Right. And I think that really helps us understand how to be safe and how to take care of ourselves. So I would definitely encourage that conversation to happen in your gym as well, because I think it eliminates a lot of the, Hey, well, maybe she'll let me compete or maybe I'll just do this in the meet or maybe I'll just show up. That's really not a safe way to go about gymnastics. And it also produces a very high level of anxiety for the athletes. Okay. So some in-season examples, just like we talked about last time. So uh, a lot of this stuff is, is pretty common knowledge for people, but I want to review some of it. So you might do a timed warm-up uh, with a uh, like touches and then go through a pressure set. You might do pressure sets with the built-in order and wait times to kind of, like I said in the last lecture, like they call it ice in the kicker, right? Like sometimes the judge you know, it takes 14 minutes to, t to grade a routine or something like that. So you might have a long wait after your touch warm up. So you might want to simulate some of that kind of stuff, right? We would do some pretty in-depth video reviews of each routine after we do it. So say we'll have somebody holding the iPad. They'll do it. They'll do their routine. They'll chalk up. Or sorry, they'll do routine. They'll grab the iPad. They'll film the next person behind it. And then after we all go through routines, the coaches will pull each person aside one by one and say, okay, well, this is this correction. This is what we thought about here. This is how we can improve this. We'll make some plan of attack for like drills to work on or stuff. And then they'll go work on that that day or the next day. Okay. We might do another um, two or three sets of routines. And again, we talked about how it varies very, very differently between, you know, pommel routines for men's gymnastics versus ring routines. You know, you probably do five or 10 pommel horse routines pretty well if they're short. I don't know if you're going to be doing five or 10 ring routines without something seriously going wrong. So uh, understanding that. You might do, you know, one or two or three routines in a day uh, and have lots of corrections in between. You might do a day where you really just focus on drills and basics and corrections in between that where you do a lighter day and it's really just technical refinement. So a lot of these things are going to come up uh, based on your preferences, based on the meets that you have and based on how many days or times you have before that. But again, you have to plan these things out in advance. 
Okay, another in-season example here, right? So say we might do on uh, on uneven bars, for example, we might do a basics and a shaping warm-up. We would do one routine, uh, kind of a pressure set. We would do maybe a, a video review of that routine and say, here are the here's the skill that you struggled on the most. Let's do three of that skill in a correction. Let's do a couple drills to support that skill. And then we'll do a second and third routine after we've corrected that a little bit. We'll try to hit that skill and that entire routine altogether. So the order of this, maybe around the you know the flow of the gym, would be they would take a bar turn, they would go watch the video review, they would get a correction from their coach, go to a couple of side stations or drills, do a couple of side shaping or strength drills, and then come back, chalk up, get ready in line. So it's a good flow for the group. Okay. As we talked about more and more, there can be examples of this beyond just this. So, for example, for vault, uh, we might do a timed warm-up and we might do a pressure set or a group with the vault, like all everyone's all eyes on the actual vaulters themselves, so it simulates the competition. Do those three uh, corrections or drills routines. You might do four more vault after that, right, after we get all the things broken down. We talked about how in preseason, maybe it's vaulting uphill to stacked mats, but now it might be actually just doing four more actual vaults or five more actual vaults. And then everyone can maybe have like a, a group come together and talk about, you know, things to work on, patterns you notice, things to not work on, um, just notes for next practice. And you can take that kind of with you. Okay, let's move on to strength and physical preparation. So there's two main approaches here that you can do, and I encourage people to, to talk amongst their staff and talk amongst the resources of what they can do. There is one approach that is pretty much all focused on uh, gymnastics. So it's pretty much 100% gymnastics, and you're going to build in time for prehab or maintenance strength care, right? So the examples might be doing a daily dozen, like Nick Ruddick suggests, doing a, a daily warm-up that has all sorts of basics and maintenance care built in. Um, doing four days of gymnastics specific strength and conditioning and maybe you throw in a little bit of lower body strength or a little bit of a general core or general upper body maintenance care like rotator cuff rehab or hip care glute work just to kind of maintain the uh, ability of the athletes to feel pretty good so maybe on a light day you might toss in some of that prehab or maintenance care or you might do some of those things on a, on a deload day or an extended warm-up when someone's maybe coming in off a, a hard weekend so you can just go all gymnastics for all of your strength and conditioning and just build in these times for maintenance care you can also do it, I've seen this done really, really well at the college level uh, when they have some strength conditioning coaches to work with, is that you could do 75% of your time would be gymnastics specific, but you would have 25% of your time really focused on the general maintenance care. So maintaining your strength, maintaining your power, and some of the more like, you know, prehab or athletic training or physical therapy type uh, rehab exercises to kind of maintain integrity throughout the year, right? So maybe you would do your daily dozen, but maybe now instead you do three gymnastics specific days and then one day, either it's in the weight room or whether it's not, or whether it's just at the gym, whatever you want to do is you do some more of the general uh, strength and power work. So maybe you continue to do some of those seated med ball or some of the seated dumbbell jumps and the broad jumps and some of the anti-rotation core exercises and some of the upper back strength or the direct hip lifts and stuff like that. That. Things that you were doing in the preseason um, to get ready for the competitive season, but it is important if you look at the literature to try to maintain those adaptations uh, with a little bit of stimulus per week. So keeping the volume low, but the intensity high. I've seen that work really, really well also. So if somebody wants to do that, that's cool. If you're stuck in a situation where you don't have a lot of time, you don't have a lot of space or equipment, and you're just trying to get it all in, maybe just doing four specific days of gymnastics-specific work and try to fill in a couple of those stations or fill in a couple of those things. I know it's really challenging time-wise, um, but also challenging programming and planning-wise. So you have to really make sure in advance you bust out your binders. You say, okay, how much time do we have for strength? How much space do we have? What's the equipment? And what are those kind of categories of things we need to fulfill for like squatting versus hinging versus jumping versus handstands? You got to map all that out using the templates that we gave you in the last lecture um, and kind of say what you're going to do to make sure it feels okay and you feel like you're getting all of your stuff done throughout the week. So either of these approaches is good. I think it's personal preference, but just keep, keep in mind that we're pretty much all hammering away on gymnastics specific strength in season and trying to really focus on routines. That is one of the biggest goals. So we don't want to go crazy with extra strength conditioning.
So some gymnastic specific examples, just kind of revisiting these, right? So the hollow and arch shaping, core compression, handstand holding, press handstands, rope climbs, some sort of shoulder opening, closing, or kind of pushing and pulling back, protraction, retraction, active flexibility work, and event specific strength. Those are really the big categories. There's obviously much, much more to that for like based on the event or skill or the needs of the athletes. But uh, Nick and I have talked a lot about this and we think this is kind of incorporates a lot of the different categories that you would have. A lot of this is from Nick's Daily Dozen, which I highly recommend people check out and use. I've added in some more of my own just based on some of the, the people that I've worked with and I've picked up some ideas along the way. But essentially some sort of gymnastics specific work, you know, that's going to be done almost all the time every day uh, in season to try to make sure we're really optimizing for routines and optimizing for meets. So just some examples here. Um, so we might just do some piked rope climbs, right? Pretty, uh, pretty no brainer, pretty staple, but you could do pike, you could do straddle, you could do tuck, you could do straight, you could do one leg. Like there's a lot of options based on the athletes, but getting some sort of rope climb work in some press compression work here. This is a really great exercise for both the compression aspect of the uh, handstand, but then also the, um, the actual uh, press handstand itself. So I like these quite a bit to just lean your body weight over, learn how to press, right? And just slowly unweight the, the toes and lean forward. I think these are really great side stations. These are really great warm up drills to do as well. So press handstands and press walks forward and backwards over here, just doing some uh, kind of lower body compression work. So going from the L to the V position, trying to hold three, uh, three seconds on each with a shoulder blade blocked behind. Um, these are really, really helpful to learn on compression work, but also just maintain core strength. So really good side station to do. You can tuck, you can do one leg, you can do, you know, a little bit less aggressive version of this if you want to, but just showing some examples, you could just do an L hold, right? But something to work on that compression strength is really, really important for bars. And then just some handstand drills here against the wall, some static holds. So in a straddle, just trying to work on that stacking position of a cast handstand. Very easy side station, very easy to put in a warm up. very easy to put on a, a general daily dozen list of whatever you're doing uh, from Nick's kind of components, but just some examples here of different gymnastics specific categories to kind of tackle. A couple more here as well. So for bars, so here's some, some uh, sh oh, sorry, well, uh, up here in the top left hand corner, we have some closing shoulder angle work. So up in a hollow feeder up on top of the uh, mat here, and she's just working on closing her shoulders all the way down. Then she would kind of start and go back to the beginning all the way back up. So very, very good warm up, very, very good side station for those who struggle with kids that don't have great bar strength, but you're trying to find more time to fill it in. So you could do it as a side station, as a warm up, as part of a side drill between turns. But we do shoulder closing on this side, and then we also have shoulder opening on this side. So standing, bringing the floor bar overhead. So it's very, very common to kind of do a turn and go over and do five closes, five opens. Larger bar, weight the bar, make it easier, make it harder for athletes. Those things are totally fine. But shoulder opening and shoulder closing with a straight arm is very, very important for many, many things in gymnastics. So whether you're working on your Chanko drills and you're throwing overhead, whether trampolinists are working on overhead uh, jumps for just height, whether men's gymnastics are working on, you know, to pelt taps and very aggressive P-bar taps, all these things kind of opening and shoulder closing come together. So you want to be working these drills pretty much every day. And then as we've, we've revisited before, but some just plyometrics, some high tuck jumps over um, the panel mats, trying to maintain that gymnastic specific stiffness and bouncing off the floor. You could also do this over here with some like springboard drills, like trying to get high body tension of teaching the athletes how to keep the uh, ears covered, how to keep the body tension in the line really, really straight. Another one I really, really enjoy doing from Nick is what he calls five dimensions of a straight line, which is essentially just trying to find different ways for the athletes to lay flat. So lay on your stomach flat, lay on your back flat, hang flat, do a handstand flat, just stand flat, right? There's many different ways to do it, but just teaching body tension, just teaching can you squeeze a super straight line and work on some active flexibility as well. So some more examples here, but again, those categories are what you're looking for. I'm sure everybody who's listening to this lecture could give five or 10 amazing exercises for each category of prep. 
press handstands, of shoulder opening, of plyos, of body tension. We could have an entire weekend course on that. But you just want to try to find as much as you can to fulfill those categories and then all the extra things that you might need some development on. Okay, so when we look at maybe a programming example, so for men's art, or sorry for women's artistic gymnastics in a, in a block of maybe 30 or 45 minutes, you might do four sets of 10 in and out panel mat jumps. You could do a rope climb in between there and then do a set of 10 L to leg V ups, right? Going from L to V, L to V. That's a very gymnastic specific uh, maintenance care type strength exercise and power type exercise. Then they might go over to do some rod strip jumps. So jump on the right, jump on the left for split jumps and then do straddle jumps on the rod strip a little bit easier on their legs or on their knees, but working active flexibility. Those cast handstands, those power cast handstands are added back in as a maintenance care to do. Then maybe do some corbett actions or arch hollow snaps over a panel mat. So they lay over a panel mat, snap to a hollow, and then go back down 10 times on the stomach, 10 times on the back to work arch and hollow. This would be a very, very good kind of in-season workout to do to, to get a lot of strength gains maintained and a lot of power gains maintained, but in a very, very specific gymnastics way to try to keep those things focused on routine peaking. So here's an example for men's artistic gymnastics. We might do those same in and out panel mat jumps, the rope climbs, the leg lifts, but maybe now we, we change some of the specificity to be more for parallel bars, right? So maybe we do reverse physio ball rocks, right? So our hands are behind us, reaching up our feet up on a physio ball, rocking far forward as far as we can, then pulling back, reverse plange rocks for the front swing of parallel bars, the front extension swing of pommel horse. Maybe we do P-bar handstand push-ups instead of cast handstands because it's a little bit more specific to what they need for their sport or what they need for that discipline in the sport, but they still do the arch hollow snap. So a little bit of tweaking there based on what they need. But again, examples is just very, very specific to the gymnastics aspects and all those body weight type explosive power things we're trying to get to. Okay, so the other thing that we've talked about too, right, is doing some maintenance care or some general examples. What are you doing for maintenance care in the uh, upper body in particular if you're choosing to maybe add these into side stations or maybe if you're choosing to do a separate day where you do just specific work for all the things that are, you know, more of that general kind of category. So for the upper body, I think upper body, uh, or sorry, upper back rowing is really important for a lot of gymnasts who don't do that. So face pulls, feet elevated rows, renegade rows, all of the rotator cuff exercises, they typically get overlooked, but are very, very important in season. So nobody gets nagging shoulders. So sideline dumbbell, external rotation, uh, prone T's, prone Y's, prone U's, standing full cans, banded external and internal rotation at zero degrees, then also at 90 degrees. Again, just grunt work, particularly for men's gymnastics that kind of has to be done twice a week. Other things that are really, really good too are Turkish get-ups and overhead loaded carries to try to maintain some of that dynamic stability in the shoulder. So we might toss in a couple laps of those. And then anything we can possibly do to maintain flexibility, because typically as the competitive year goes on, the flexibility gets a little bit worse, a little bit worse as athletes get stiffer and stiffer from doing a lot of high volume training. So eccentric chin-ups uh, or push-ups to try to maintain lat and pec flexibility. We might do some wall angels, some stomach circles for active flexibility for female gymnasts as well. But those are all just really good things to add into, particularly, like I said, like a light day. If you have a day where you're trying to just get some recovery in, this is a really great way to add some workouts in that aren't super stressful, but are going to kind of fill in some of those gaps that maybe you don't have time for because you have so much routine work to do. So just some examples here. These are feet elevated rows in the top left-hand corner. Over here on the right side, these are stomach shoulder circles for active flexibility. So good kind of maintenance care type work for the active flexibility. In the bottom left, we have the sideline dumbbell external rotation just to kind of get the back of the posterior rotator cuff a little bit stronger. And then we have some Turkish get-ups here in the bottom right. So pressing straight ahead, one leg is extended and up and kind of coming up to the elbow. She would press and bring her foot all the way through. And the reason Turkish get-ups are so good is because they work the shoulder in a variety of different ways, but also the core is getting taxed in many, many ways. So a couple reps of these are, are very, very good to keep in your maintenance care type program. Okay, so for the lower body, 
again, on that same idea of what are we trying to do to fill in the gaps to make sure we're getting balance about the hip joint, balance around the core. So single leg weighted hip lifts and single leg RDLs typically are very underlooked and very undertrained. So the hamstrings and glutes get very, very underdeveloped compared to the quads and the inner thighs. So adding in some of those are very good, along with side plank clamshells, side plank leg lifts or lateral band walks, uh, making sure you're doing these in a way that's challenging enough. Okay, single leg balance or some ankle stability because ankle sprains are very, very high uh, risk factors for gymnastics. So you might have some ankle rolling. So keeping your ankle flexibility up, but then also doing some single leg jumping and landing, some double leg jumping and landing to, to maintain proper quality of movement there. And then maintaining some of the flexibility for jumps and for leaps by doing eccentric split sliders to the front and to the side with straddles and then doing needle kicks, active flexibility, uh, L or stall their press work and swim through. It's all are just really good active hip flexibility things to kind of keep in mind. So just some examples here. So here's the weighted hip lift up in the top left-hand corner. Over here on the top right-hand corner, you can see some farmer carry marches, which helps to make the core be prepared for high impact forces, which is why we do it so much for maintenance care and season. We don't want someone's back to get sore or hips to get sore if they don't know how to handle the landing forces. Okay, and then a side plank clamshell is on the uh, bottom left here. You can see the band around your knees to make it pretty challenging. And then we have on the right uh, sliders, right? So split sliders, she let slowers down all the way and then lifts up with her hands. Very good for active flexibility. Very good to try to maintain some of the jumps and the leaps and things that most people are looking for in season of getting the you know angles they need for no deductions. Okay, so here's a, a specific uh, programming example, again, of what we might do on one of these maintenance care days if you have them. So we might do four sets of eight offset single leg kettlebell RDLs, which is a single leg deadlift with the, hand, uh, the weight in the opposite hand with one leg on the ground. So it kind of works on the rotational control and the stability. A lot of beam coaches are big fans of those because it helps them to control and land their jumps and leaps when maybe they're off. Okay, we might do uh, three sets of 10 of like a prone U with a dumbbell or a sideline external rotation, and then do some bird dogs or some core work at some deep core activation. The second set would be some weighted hip lifts, doing five stomach circles up to the panel mat, and then doing some of those side plank clamshells. Okay, so you can order these, which is kind of filling all the things that you don't really have time to do. But doing all these things are going to massively help in season to maintain some of their capacity and maintain some of those cranky joints and kind of preventing some of the onset of those. All right, so let's shift gears and talk about cardio and energy systems, okay? So we have to remember that routines are going to be the major source of their energy and cardio systems work. I think a mistake I used to make was, was trying to go too hard on some of the cardio work while we were still training routines, and I think it built up too much stress and they wouldn't recover as well. The athletes struggled to recover. So now... I typically in season spend most of my time doing energy systems for routines, but I do throw in some event specific work like we'll talk about to try to just augment or try to have accessory build up pieces to that. So we might try to maintain maybe one day per week where we do one of those faster twitch bursted workouts and try to get that quick twitch fiber aspect or that high, high degree of, of stress in a 60 to 90 second window to be maintained. We can train for that. We want to be very specific about how we do that, though. Okay, we only have so much gas in the tank, so we don't want to be going super, super hard just for the sake of it. We have to be very, very intelligent and very, very calculated about the specific intentional nature of the workout that we're doing if we're going to choose to do a, a very intense anaerobic uh, bursted workout because they're very, very taxing on your nervous system, and they're very, very taxing on some of the, uh, the, the physiological systems. It's hard to recover from a really hard anaerobic workout. Sometimes you get a little sore. Sometimes you get really, really tired, and you might drain their energy too much earlier in the week and then not have enough routines later in the week. So being mindful of that is really, really important. Okay, one thing I really like to do here is doing short bursted interval work. Okay, so the way I like this is, is versus like the long interval work we did in the preseason, which was 60 to 90 seconds, an absolute slog of a workout where we, we're not really worried about, you know, doing two or three routines or competing in a meet so we can afford to be a little tired. Um, but this situation is try to go really, really explosive, 
really, really fast on a short interval. So that max effort is the goal, right? So we're going to do these in low to moderate volume, but very, very, very high intensity because we don't want to add too much extra impact on their body, like their shins or their back, right? So we want to pick exercises that are very safe to do, just like we did in the preseason, but they really demand a, a lot of your body, right? So the sleds and some of the jumps and the runs and stuff, uh, gymnastic-specific exercises work well here too. We want to pick things that are really going to be uh, beneficial, that are going to be very, very challenging, but we're not going to add too much jump mileage onto somebody. Okay, so here's an example of one that I really like doing in season that seems to maintain a high degree of intensity, but it really works on these intervals so that they can understand how to control themselves, right? So we might do uh, 10 very fast explosive plate hops and then five maximal effort squat jumps and then two laps of a bear crawl. So bear crawl down, bear crawl back, right? That will probably only take you maybe 15 to 20 seconds, right? 25 seconds max if you're really struggling. But most people can do that in, in 15 to 20 seconds. And you keep that interval really, really short. So they would alternate with their partner five times each. So they would each do five rounds of that, which would probably take them probably around three to five minutes, okay? You would all rest for two minutes after the last group goes. That allows you to recover and get your energy system back in the glycolytic system and some time to recover. It's not a perfect work to rest ratio, but given their constraints of practice times being not four hours long um, for allowing for an hour of cardio, we have to do this. So two minute rest that allows you to get your cardio and your energy system back. So you can then go really max effort again on the next set. So the next set would be five rounds again of 10 quick taps, five max effort plyo pushups, and then two sled push laps. So plate hops are when you kind of just jump onto a panel mat side to side really fast with your legs, as you'll see, quick taps are kind of front to back, right? And then you would do the same thing. You would do those five rounds for each person, rest two minutes. The last round of five would be 10 pogo hops, five max effort jump cast handstands on the floor, and then two all out sprint laps back and forth. So you can still see its whole body. You can still see we're working very, very aggressively, but we're intentionally trying to do a workout that's gonna stimulate that very explosive, very fast twitch, very, very high, high intensity, because that's going to be what we need to maintain from a, a physiological point of view to get our, the most out of our routines that we want to do. Okay, so we might do this all in all, this uh, this workout might take you 15 minutes, right? 15 to 20 minutes, but it's very, very intentional. There's not just running for the sake of running or panel mats for the sake of just doing plyos, okay? So you'll see an example here of someone doing this. So you can see down on the floor, there's these uh, plates that they're jumping. So they would do their plate hops here. So 10 plate hops, and you can see how we organize this in a group. And then they would come down, they would do their uh, five, this is a jumping lunges in this case, but five jumping lunges to get a very explosive kind of uh, workload going. And then they would get their sled, they would push as fast as they can down. And I think they did three laps in this one. So sprint down, sprint back, sprint down again. I think normally because we have the rod strip in the back there, that's longer. So I had them do three laps because I wanted a pretty good interval. So yeah, I think this video is 20 seconds long, right? So the, the entire thing that they took them to do was about 20 seconds. And then you know, they would drag the block back to their partner and then the person would go start their plate hops. So that person is dragging the, the, the uh, sorry, the, the sled back as they, they start. So they would do the exact same workout we just talked about. Okay. So that's a really good way. It's very specific. It's not just doing circuits and getting tired for getting tired. It's very much based on a good energy system science. Okay, so another option for in-season cardio is actually the opposite of, uh, you know, that really, really high intensity, which is active recovery. So a lot of places do this, and I think this is a really, really smart thing to do, is, you know, maybe on your light day, when you're coming back and you're feeling a little tired, you're feeling a little sore, is that you actually do like a nice 20-minute or so circuit or some sort of really easy active recovery work with cardio at like a middle, a low to moderate heart rate. Because um, it helps to get the body uh, recovered, right? So it helps with circulation. It helps with blood flow. It helps to get the joints moving if you're a little sore and stiff. And you can do this two ways. You can maybe just go for a longer, you know, nice, easy bike or a nice, easy, like, you know, walk for some people on a Sunday. You can also, I think a lot of colleges I work with are... Uh, 
turning turning their uh, their minds onto this idea. So they'll have someone come in for their light day and they'll have like some bike set up or some like light jogging and they'll do like one minute of a bike or two minutes of a bike or a jog and then they'll kind of switch with a partner who's doing like an active recovery or a maintenance care type exercise. Something their athletic trainer gave them, some of those prehab exercises, some of those things we just talked about, like the upper body and lower body um, kind of maintenance care type stuff. So they would just alternate between these two again, not trying to get super tired, not trying to get super dead, but just like getting a sweat going, getting the body going a little bit. These are really, really helpful. Some people really, really like these uh, as the first day back when they're coming off a really hard meet weekend or a really hard travel weekend. So maybe Monday you use one of these days, you do skill corrections and basics, and then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you get back on the routine train. Okay, so an example here, you might have four rounds of uh, one minute on each station in a group. So the first station might be a light jog or a light little air bike. You can also jump rope on a softer surface. That's a really good one too as well. Um, the second station might be a lower body like dynamic stretching or some sort of active flexibility. Maybe it's some of those sliders. Maybe it's some kicks. Maybe it's some nice and easy hip mobility. The third exercise might be a core or something that's really, really um, kind of like mid-level shaping. So hollow rocks or shaping of like those five dimensions of a straight line or some sort of nice and easy you know, a bird dog, dead bug combination. The fourth exercise is some sort of upper body active flexibility or prehab work too as well. So maybe some face pulls, maybe some uh, chin up lowers, maybe some lat stretches, some some shoulder circles. But essentially you would have everyone go through that because you're just trying to get the body moving. You're just trying to get things kind of going, right? Some people just like to have the athletes just go for a nice 30 minute walk outside at a brisk pace to try to get their heart rate up a little bit. Some people like biking, some people like hiking, like whatever it is, right? But the, again, the idea is a light to moderate effort to get the body going a little bit and not just make it feel like you're walking around with concrete legs. Okay. Try to really make sure as we shift our way into athlete wellness here to really intentionally build time to give the athletes time for prehab or maintenance care programs. I think I know all too well how hard it is to just be busy and have to get more done, more done, more workouts, more routines, more, more go, go, go. But if you don't build in some of these active recovery, these light days, it, it feels absolutely impossible to, to, to recover from the hard practices and the hard meets, right? So I encourage people to intentionally plan going all the way back to that month-long calendar of why you want to plan light days in to tell the athletes that you're going to have intentional things like that to make them make sure they feel like they're taken care of, right? So build in light days, build in a cool down for 30 minutes, right? Where you guys finish your events early and everyone can do their prehab binder. Everyone can do some of their maintenance care work. You can do one of these active recovery workouts, right? Or just open the gym up if you can early 30 minutes so people can get there beforehand and do some of their maintenance care work, do some of their soft tissue care work, right? I know it's hard for everyone to find space and time, but you have to find some way to make this happen. Because if you don't do this intentionally throughout the season, uh, it gets away from you and you find you're never doing it. Athletes are always just doing the work and they're really, really beat up and they start to get really cranky backs and really cranky shins and wrists. And it feels like you're too far behind the eight ball to do anything about it. So knowing that you have to intentionally plan what day of the week or what time during the month, are you going to build this in as a cool down? Are you going to build this in as a light day? Are you going to build this in? Can you have the athletes come early? Like what is going to happen to try to make it work? A lot of athletes come from school. They can't get there 30 minutes early. So maybe you're going to have to find time to help them out with that. Okay. So with athlete wellness in mind, remember that we talked about some things that control that sand, that sand going through is, is by far and away, communication is going to be one of the most important things. So if you have a whole group of people that come in, their legs are super tired, they're barely keeping their eyes open, or test time is coming around, they're really, really struggling, maybe you can flip-flop days where you can go, okay, instead of taking a light day tomorrow, we'll do our light day today, we'll do our routines tomorrow because I know everyone's kind of dying here. Maybe one athlete had a really, really tough day, a really, really tough um, you know, situation with school or family life or they're buried in their homework and they just can't get to sleep. Maybe you adjust their stuff where they can do the routines the next day or they can adjust a little bit. You have to try to uh, adjust to the athlete's uh, read of what they're telling you because chances are you're not going to get a lot out of them, but also you're going to build trust with that athlete about, oh, this person really cares about me and listens to me. 
There are other times when the athlete comes in a little tired, a little sluggish, and you're like, hey, we planned for this. We knew this was going to come, so we're just going to push through, right? We're going to do it safely. We're going to adjust as we need. We might have to tinker a little bit here and there, but we're going to get through these routines, right? There's a time and a place for both ends of the spectrum, but again, communication is key, and why educating the athletes as much as possible is going to tell them what's a heads up. Like this, We, we knew this was coming. We knew this was going to be part of the plan, okay? So constant reminders, constant education about sleep hygiene, about stress management, feeling for performance, making sure they're getting their work done on time, making sure they're trying to plan for when their meet weekends are, when they're traveling, they're not going to have time. So they're not staying up till two in the morning on Sunday night after their meet. Okay. Trying to do as much as you can. And the other thing we'll end here and we'll talk about is, is some sort of basic wellness and tracking or journaling program is super duper helpful during season. And I mean the whole year, but particularly in season to keep an eye on these things. Okay. So what we do uh, with all of our athletes and binders, and this has been something we've been working on for a long time is we do a, a basic wellness or tracking journal, right? So we have these, uh, this is actually a picture from the journal on the top right hand corner is here. So sleep quality, physical readiness, energy readiness, overall mood, and then a, a wellness score, which we're, we're actually moving away from, but these four numbers are probably the most important anyways. So essentially zero zero is the worst, 10 is the best. So for sleep, you say, what was the quality of your sleep on a zero to 10 scale? Zero is terrible. 10 is the best sleep you ever had in your life. Soreness, how fresh do your muscles feel right now? Zero is they have zero, you know, uh, zero readiness. I feel super duper sore. I couldn't do anything of my life dependent on it. Or whereas 10 is, I don't feel any soreness at all. I feel amazing. My legs feel ready to go, ready to rumble. I feel awesome, right? Energy, zero is I am completely, you know, toast. You got to peel me off the mat to get me going. 10 is I feel like I'm going to run through a wall. I'm super duper energetic, right? Mood, crappy mood. It's a zero. I feel like crap. I just don't want to work out. I'm in a bad mood. 10 is I feel amazing. I'm super duper happy, right? So you add those scores up if you want to get a 40% score, but I think looking individually is probably more important. And you just see how these things trend over time. If an athlete is constantly, you know, not or is in line with what you want, you want to have communication about that. You also give them some blank journal space just for some extra notes. Are you worried? Are there injuries starting? Is there something you're not, you know, like test or something stressing you out? Having some blank space to do that is really, really important. What we're looking for is that we know there's going to be some changes. Everyone's going to be different, but we're looking for patterns or standouts, right? So a consistently low sleep or consistently really crummy mood across like a week. Like what's going on there? You got to talk to the athlete. Hey, why are we sleeping like garbage? Why are you feeling like this mood is really, really low? Is there an injury starting? Is there something you're stressed about? Is it routine? Is it meets? Is it your family life? Like what's going on here? A consistent lack of energy is usually uh, more related to sleep and also proper feeling for performance and hydration. Okay, the also looking for the opposite pattern of something you don't expect. So, so say in training, it's supposed to be really, really tough for these couple weeks, but everyone's scores are through the roof. They feel great. They're not sore at all. They feel amazing, right? You actually don't want that. You want training to be challenging enough to be a little bit lower. So maybe in the middle, but not crushed. Same thing with the opposite. So maybe when you don't think the workouts are that hard, it's supposed to be an easy period and everybody is tanking, right? Everyone's scores are really, really low. Well, that's also raised for concern too about like, well, why are we all feel so terrible for trying to take more of a deload, right? Maybe you're not appreciating how hard the training programs actually are. The perception of what you think it's going to be versus the reality is different for the athletes. And so maybe if the whole team is feeling like that, you can kick step back and kind of acknowledge that a little bit. I found personally, as we kind of just wrap things up here for tapers and deloads, this is something that a lot of people ask me about. Um, when to taper, when to deload, what does that look like? There's a lot of different scientific literature here. There's a lot of different opinions on this. For me personally, I have found that for the smaller local meets, a three-day taper is typically okay. So you're kind of maintaining the intensity, but you're pulling down the volume. Like I said, like that Tuesday workout where you had two to three routines. And then Wednesday, it was one routine with corrections. And then you took a light day. They did a mock meet on Friday and you competed on Saturday. That's a three-day taper, right? To kind of pull down the amount of volume you're doing, but just do the really high intensity pressure sets. For things that are much bigger, 
Um, big meets like states or regionals or nationals, I actually try to do a full seven day taper. So the thought process being is that you have so much time under your belt from from doing these, uh, you know, prep work that you can take a full week where you're kind of just doing pressure sets or just doing really high intensity work and building in more prehab, more recovery work to try to get their body as ready as humanly possible. So I think five to seven days, some people do a longer one if it's a really big meet, but I found that five to seven days is pretty good. Um, for travel meets, you have to really think about all the things that go into that. You can't just uh, expect the taper to go super smooth because it might be a time zone change, it might be a sleeping change, it might be different equipment, it might be packing different food, different snacks, all that kind of stuff. So if you have someone who's traveling for a weekend meet and they're going to be doing their meets at uh, you know nine in the morning and they always work out at five p.m. at night, you have to try to think about that well in advance and try to see how can you prepare that athlete for it. Either maybe you can get a touch in the training hall, or you can get there early, or just do some sort of morning workout before, or maybe they just start waking up and, and doing some sort of activity at that time to get their body ready for it about two weeks before leading up to it. Okay, for a taper or deload, I personally like to lower the volume but maintain the intensity because we don't want to lose that really imp impressive power and speed and readiness. So we might reduce the sets or the reps slightly, we might reduce the overall volume or density. So take away maybe one chunk of the exercises that aren't super, super important. We might replace a medium day with a light day or a prehab. So the total volume throughout the week is lower. So there's different ways to do this. You, I typically just pull off some of the sets and reps and try to have the high quality effort of explosive power be really the goal. Um, but I also will maybe change a, a couple of the days to so maybe not do another hard day of strength, but instead just do a lighter prehab day like we just talked about. So the overall volume of the week is lower leading into the uh, couple meets. All right, and just a tape week example here. So we might have something here where we go like medium, right? Heavy, heavy, then we light, then we medium, we compete, we off, right? All the way through, we could do another example, might be just doing um, in our gymnastics side. So this is gymnastics on the left, this is SNC on the right, sorry, on the, on the below it, so top and bottom here. So we might do one uh, routine with a half set, and then we might just do some shaping and core and basics works on Monday. The second day, we might do our warm-up and our pressure set, as we talked about, but we might cut the volume down on the strength conditioning to be 75% of what it was with high-quality intensity for these two days as we're doing our pressure sets and our warm-ups. By Thursday, we just pretty much do a light basic day. Friday would be our mock day or our mock meet with very, very little to no just basic mental work and basic shaping and body work so that on Saturday, we can compete. This is kind of essentially the visual representation of what I just outlined here. So tapering throughout that three to five days to get ready. Hope you guys enjoy this and have a wonderful day. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to that episode. I hope that you really enjoyed it and got a lot of value out of it. I just want to let you know before we sign off here that a couple things we'd love for you to do. So one is please just make sure that you rate and review the podcast on iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher, wherever you're listening, because that really does help the episode grow quite a bit. And then second, if you really enjoyed this episode, we would love if you left us a review as well and told us what you liked about it. You know, what information was useful, what things were not useful, would you like to know more about, what guests you want to have on in the future. And then also as you kind of go about your day, if you found something really useful, just toss it up on social media. We love to hear from people on Instagram or Twitter or, you know, all the different websites that they're using for social media. Facebook is great too. But yeah, let us know what you like, because honestly, the podcast comes from people who just tell us what they're finding useful. And that's how we create the next set of content. So yeah, tag us in the podcast or tag us online, whatever you're doing it. And uh, let us know what you think. Thanks.